Praise the Lord, everyone. I greet you in the name of Jesus, which is still the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Oh, somebody ought to praise you. The Lord bless you. You may be seated. It is a treat and a joy to be here with all of you. And uh, over the years, <clears throat> our meetings were blessed with testimonies and uh, visits with Brother T.C. Alexander and his lovely bride. And I still remember how the old bishop would get up and get fired up when he testified. I love to see the fire of God in, in, the, in the hearts of senior ministers. And I want this church to know that you have been blessed of the Holy Ghost to have had the kind of pastoral leadership that you've had right here over all the years. Thank God for that right now. Amen. I am so humbled and grateful for the invitation to be here. All over Pentecost, I keep hearing the name Townley. I don't know if he's sending out the information himself or it's just other people uh, are doing that. I will dismiss the musically inclined and let you depart in peace. Go thy way and sin no more. Uh, from what I see of your pastor, I like the set of his sail. And I love to see uh, men of God that are in love with the old past. And I almost said younger men, but I remembered how I felt when I was younger. And uh, some of the saints in the church seemed to think I was too young to be their pastor. And I finally said, well, you know, I'm old enough to be a colonel an Air Force a United States Senator and, and be President. How old you got to be to be a pastor? Uh, I think you couldn't find a finer pastor than what God has given you right here. Amen. And anybody wouldn't like Sister Townley wouldn't fight for the country. That's what I'm talking about. And besides that, they got some beautiful babies around here too. And speaking of beautiful, I brought someone beautiful with me. I saw that I was uh, in trouble in life, and I knew if I didn't marry me a pretty girl, my kids were going, wouldn't have a chance. So uh, I am so happy to have the darling of my life here. This is Sister Sugar Booger. And she, that's not really her name. That's only what I say in public. I got better names for her in private. That's, that's what I'm talking about. But I'd like to have her stand the Lord today since my microphone's going out. God bless her. She's
Amen. I see we had Brother Blankenship's son and hmm? and both of his sons come in the house this morning. We're glad to have them here. Uh, to the oldest one, do you know what time it is, brother? <laughs> Church started a half hour ago, you know. <laughs> The pastor in me still creeps out. I'm sorry. I can't. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Some of you don't know me very well, and that's the mercies of the Lord, I'm sure. My little grandson, my daughter's son, uh, I should say oldest son, <clears throat> is, was about five or six, something like that, and he went into the basement in his house there in Michigan, and he got him a scissors, and he cut off all of his hair without the aid or the benefit of a mirror, and there's, there was some nice scissor marks on his head where he had, uh, had been practicing his handiwork, and he was so proud of himself that he had given himself a haircut. And he came upstairs and said, look, Mommy. And she said, oh, Garrison, what have you done? He said, what? And she picked him up where he could look in the mirror. He said, oh, oh, Mama, I look like a five-year-old pawpaw. <laughs> <laughs> I would tell you that times are hard everywhere nowadays. <laughs> well, I was thrilled to be part of this wonderful men's conference that you have here. I hope to God that you appreciate and enjoy that. That, that ought never to die. I, I just believe it's going to get bigger and bigger and every year. Amen. And it won't be long before these walls won't hold it. That's right. If I held a conference, you could put it in the phone booth, I'm sure, but... I'm glad to see what God is doing here in Jennings. This might be your last time to stand for several hours, so why don't you stand with me while we read from the book of Matthew, chapter 6. And I want to read two verses of Scripture. While you're still looking, I will tell you that you can't make it through life without injuring someone or without being injured. And although the injury is bad, what's more important is what you do after the injury. You see, bitterness spends its life looking behind. Fear only looks around. It's only faith that looks forward. I made up my mind a long time ago. I don't want to spend my life looking over my shoulder, looking behind me. Life is too short to die bitter. The scripture reads like this, verse 14, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 
But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. That's pretty potent and powerful stuff. And we don't often pay attention to it because we think we have the right to forgive and not forgive. And we say, well, I forgive you, but I'll never forget. And I will tell you, there's some things you better not forget because you don't want to have that same problem all over again. But when the Lord forgives, he uses this expression, never to be remembered against you. It's not like God is so ignorant that he can't remember, but he chooses not to hold it against you. And surely there's a place in there that you and I can arrive at where we don't spend our life carrying mess right there. Heavenly Father, I invite your blessing upon the remainder of this service. I need your help. I can't do this without you today. Would you anoint my lips, my spirit, my heart, my mind, my thoughts, my being, and on our ears to the hearing of the word. I don't know what the needs are in this assembly and why you should lay this on my heart this morning. I don't know. But God, would you speak to all of us, myself included. I need you. We all need you today, Lord. In Jesus' name. And we give you praise right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, go ahead and worship the Lord this morning. God bless you. You may be seated. I probably am not very much of a hunter. I've uh, enjoyed being out in the woods. I've hunted, Lord, I've hunted, I had bobcat hounds. I've had rabbit dogs. I've had bird dogs. I've hunted deer and antelope. My mama shot a buffalo one time. Uh, I've shot elk. I've been moose and bear hunting three times, even up near the Northwest Territories. Uh, I have a son that lives in Raleigh, North Carolina, that is just an avid hunter. He has a nice lease, and, and uh, he likes to go hunt. And I got to spend some time with him uh, last fall. But this... When I started hunting, you just you just went out and, and hunted. But this generation of hunters wears camouflage. And this generation showers with special soaps and shampoos before you go out into the woods. And they, you keep your camo stuff, he does, in a big Coleman uh, chest outside on the porch or... And it's all sprinkled with baking soda. And he has his boots outside or it's just hanging outside in the air. And he has, I, I never did hunt in blinds or stands, but where they hunt there, that's about how they have to do it. And so what you learn is, is that to get a trophy, you camouflage yourself. And then they put out corn or bait of some kind. They deceive the deer with their grunts and calls and lure them in, and then they shoot the animal, and then they put it up on the wall, and then they brag about it for a while. To get a trophy, all 
you have to do is wait for that trophy to make one mistake. And then it's yours. And making the jump between deer hunting and your soul, all the devil is doing is for me to make one mistake. And he can deceive me and camouflage himself and put out a bait for me and lure me into a trap. And then he can hang my hide along with the trophies of hell and brag on me for eternity. I made up my mind a long time ago. I know that I'm far from perfect. But all I can do is plead the blood of Jesus over my life every day and ask him to help me and protect me. I've come too far now to mess up. There's all kinds of traps for folks to fall into, but I still have to hang on to this. Greater is he that's within me than he's within the world. And I'll give you this bit of confidence. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. You don't have to be a victim. You're not helpless in this situation. You've got God on your side. But the thing that you want to fall victim to, you will fall victim to if you don't put up any resistance. And there are some things I'm resisting with all that's within me. Amen. Your, oh, let, let me, let me just tell it to you this way. You and I are blessed of the Lord to enjoy His mercy and His forgiveness. He doesn't have to forgive me. He doesn't have to put up with me. But he said, I, I, I've, what I have today is a, a treasure map of how to find the Lord's forgiveness. Now, we were raised with this one thought in mind, and it's true. The Lord said, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy. I don't have a problem with that. But... I, this is a very carnal illustration, and I apologize ahead of time for using it because it has to do with casinos and cards and things. But you can stack the deck in your favor. If you will be merciful and you will be forgiving, according to this passage of Scripture, you have just set yourself up to receive the mercies and the forgiveness of God. Because the book said right here, if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will, that's a promise of God, will also forgive you. Anybody here want the mercies and the forgiveness of God? Praise God. It says in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I have a problem with people who are so arrogant and so harsh. Oh, let, let me deal with that word harsh right now. My father beat into me that there was no license, there's no hall pass, no permission slip, there's no right to be harsh, mean, or cruel with the gospel. It's kind of hard to preach the love of God like this. You got quiet on me, but it's so anyhow. You read the, the book, it talks about husbands, it talks about men, it even talks about preachers, it talks about... Being gentle, it talks of being. Yes. There is no, the Bible talks about easy to be entreated. There's no room to be mean and harsh in your home. There was a time I had to set my own children down and say, look, I made a very 
harsh judgment here, and, and my children were affected by it. And they would never complain to me. They would never talk back or sassed, sass me. I'm very grateful to have children like that. I, I didn't sow it, and I'm glad I didn't have to reap it. You be careful what you sow. You're liable to have to reap it. And I, I set them down one day in a, in a little family business meeting with my wife and my five children. I said, I've come to apologize. I, I've made a ruling that's unfair and unkind. And you've been hurt by that, and I'm so sorry. I, I, and with tears, I apologized to them. Something in me said, they'll think less of you if you do that. And then I heard the other side of my head screaming, they'll think less of you if you don't do that. You never get too big to repent. You never get too big to say, I'm sorry. I pastored a man who for 50 years was proud of the fact he'd never repented to man or beast. I don't know why he finally left my church. It was, maybe it was because about every week I'd say, if you're too big to repent, you're too big. Uh, maybe he finally got the point. But I've got a problem with people who won't humble themselves before man or God and say, I'm sorry and forgive me. And they, listen, they taught me when I was learning to fly that flying was a series of small corrections. You have to keep making adjustments. You just don't start out on a perfect course because the, though you think the heading is perfect, winds are going to blow. You're going to have things blow you off course. And before you know it, you're trying to go that way. And you're having, you find yourself trying to crab. You're, you're even pointed the wrong direction, but you're still trying to get to where you're going. But the winds, the currents are strong. And we're trying to make it from here to there. And you think my course is perfect and something happens and you feel a little something in here. But you bite down on it and you don't let anything happen there, you don't think. But it just sees and it works. You know, you can start out. I, I, I had a man come and preach a, a marriage seminar in my church one time. Name was Brother Mitchell. And Brother Mitchell spent three days. And I told our people, I said, if your kids can count to, to ten and they can say they're ABCs, they're too old. Leave them at home. And so we had some of the singles do babysitting. I paid them. And, and we just all had our, our church couples. And... There was even a couple other churches brought some of their couples over. We, we just had a, a time for a while. And you, I thought, well, he's going to teach us how to hold hands and kiss and hug and bite flowers and chocolate. No, you know what he talked about? For three days, he talked about bitterness. I thought, oh, Jesus. You have to say, Jesus. Why would you talk about bitterness at a marriage seminar for three days? And I found out by the time he was done what he did. He, he starts out, you know, you get married and you have a little disagreement. And you say things you really shouldn't say. And I'm sorry I ever married you. And I hate you. And I don't love you. And I hate your mother. And your sister ain't no bargain. And, and you go down through the whole list of stuff that you can think about. And you may kiss and make up. But 35 years later, she'll still remember that you said you hated her and sorry you ever married her and your sister wasn't no bargain either. And so there's stuff that you can carry for a while. Now, I, I'm not preaching so that you just get up and scream and holler, amen. I'm just going to preach today and you don't have to say a word. But he, my, see, he pastored the church that my father used to pastor. And I mentioned 
to some of the men yesterday about the only church that my father never named in his book, and I named an incident in, in that book. There was one man that had withstood my father, and very, very bitter man. And he showed that he drew a diagram of, on a blackboard of four generations. This man that had withstood my father, and God paralyzed him. As a result of that, I mean right there immediately in the service, God paralyzed him. That man was so bitter and so harsh. When he got hurt, he wanted to hurt back. And so when his wife did something to hurt him, he offended her and hurt her back by being unfaithful to her. Because that's how you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. And children aren't stupid. They see how you act. They see how you live and conduct yourself. And if someone doesn't break the cycle, you're in trouble for generations and generations. I don't care what your history has been. You can break the cycle this morning. You can start afresh today. You can begin a new godly heritage this morning. He went down four generations and without exception, every generation and every member of every generation was filled with bitter, bitterness, revenge. There was multiple marriages. There was infidelity, babies born out of wedlock. There was problems with morality and bitterness of every generation. You say, well, it's just bad blood. Well, let me tell you, that bad blood started with bitterness, and that led to rebellion, and that, that just took one. Listen, everybody's going to get hurt at some point or another, but don't wind up being a trophy that the devil nails on his wall in hell. God's given us an opportunity to keep our heart right and get our spirits cleaned up. We want to have church more than anything in the world, but we'll never have revival and we'll never have church as long as we're holding grudges against each other. And this side of the building won't talk to that side of the building. And this person won't shake hands with that person back there. That's not how the Holy Ghost works. But there's a cleansing and help in the Holy Ghost that can wash us all. And I plead the blood of Jesus over each and every one of us in the house today. We all need God's help in the house. Oh, somebody praise him right now. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Brother Charles Atkins was here yesterday. Him and I have ridden with a mutual friend probably, well, there's one ride that averaged about 200 to 250 miles that one week riding fast-gated horses. We would go into, uh, we would just go down into Missouri and, and ride in the, in the mountains there. We would also uh, have a ride in southern Indiana, and we would ride about 150 miles. I'm not talking straight. I'm just talking about riding out and come back and sleep in the same tents or motorhomes or campers or whatever we had. And so approximately 400 miles in a year on fast-gated horses. And then you do that for almost 25 years. You've covered a few thousand miles. And I, I, I just roughly, I'm, I'm guesstimating, maybe 8,000 miles anyway we've ridden on horseback together. That's, that's some miles. That's several times back and forth across the United States if we had gone in straight. But this one man that I want to tell you about today owned quite a few horses, and he had a nice stable, and he, uh, 
had quite a few head of horses, and there, there was a drunken, doped-up 17-year-old that came and burnt the stable down where his horses were in. And he had a nice gooseneck trailer with living quarters in it. That got destroyed. It seemed to me like a pickup truck got burnt. Tens of thousands, tens of thousands of dollars worth of saddles and tack and things besides the straw, the hay, the feed and everything else. The man was between insurance companies, about three-day laps or something there, and so he was not covered Several hundred thousands of dollars in horses and everything else. Some of them were so fast that they were in Guinness's Book of World Records. They could rack that fast. And yet this man lost everything except maybe two or three horses. He just basically got wiped out. He had been, his father was a horse trader by profession. That's all he ever did. That's how he made a living down in West Virginia. And uh, this preacher inherited his father's knack and ability and and uh, just carried right on so ever since i've known him for 40 more or years or more he's always been dealing with horses besides pastoring so they found the young man that burnt the thing down and they tried him and the prosecuting attorney was asking for 40 years to life and they found him guilty and at the sentencing, my friend went to court and he stood up and said, if it please the court, I would like to speak in this young man's behalf. And the judge says, Reverend, this is highly irregular. You're the one we're trying to defend and you're speaking in the plaintiff's, I mean, in the defendant's behalf. He said, Your Honor, he said, if you sentence this 17-year-old to 40 years to life, he may never have a chance to hear about the fact that he needs to repent of his sins and get baptized in Jesus' name, which is the only name that they ever baptized in the New Testament, he, that he needs the Holy Ghost, and that if he can get this Holy Ghost, in one day God can deliver him from his alcohol problem and his drug habits in one day. He said, Your Honor, don't send him to prison. Put him on probation and order him to come to my church and sit there for at least three years and have him sit on the front row where I can give a chance to reach him for the gospel's sake. He gave such an impassioned plea that the judge had tears running down his cheeks and he brought down the gavel and said, It is so ordered. And so I can't tell you, I don't remember what happened to that young man, but I do remember that just two years later, the pastor's son was now in court. And he's standing there in court, and the same judge, the same prosecutor, they're asking for 25 years for the pastor's son because of the crime he has committed, drugs. And when it came time for the defense, after the, the state rested and it came time for the defense to put on its, its uh, plea. The defense attorney stood up and he said, along with this pastor's son, he said, Your Honor, we throw ourselves on the mercies of the court. We have no defense. And the judge looked at the defense attorney and said, Would you like to settle this today once and for all? He said, Yes, Your Honor, I would. The prosecutor got up and he walked out of the, out of the courtroom. 
The pastor told me, he said, I stood up along with him. And that judge looked down at that preacher's son. He said, I hate everything about you. You are a shame, a reproach. You're despicable. You're an embarrassment to your father, to his church, and to this community. If they left it up to me, I'd throw you under the prison and throw the key away. I have no hope for your future. He said, but two years ago, your father stood in this courtroom. And he asked for mercy for someone who didn't deserve mercy. And I gave it to him all because your father asked for it. Now today, you don't deserve mercy. But I'm going to give you mercy because your father asked for mercy for somebody else. That'll be $50 and don't ever come back to my courtroom again. I'm happy to tell you that boy is the associate pastor today. God refilled him with the Holy Ghost and he's in church and doing wonderful. I'm trying to tell you, you want mercy on your children and grandchildren? Then you better learn how to be merciful. It all starts with you, sir. It all starts with you, ma'am, being loving and forgiving. This community knows whether or not you claim to be a Christian and you're as bitter as can be. They know whether or not you can be forgiving. For God's sake, let's ask act like saints let's act like children of God let's be loving and forgiving not only in our families in the church but to our neighbors as well oh somebody get excited in Jesus your Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 23 and be ye kind one to another tender hearted There's the opposite of the word harsh again. Forgiving, progressive verb ending ing. It means keep on forgiving. Forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. I have to forgive you just like he forgave me, according to this passage of Scripture. Let me tell you, I love to laugh. I love practical jokes. I love to pull them. I I love to tell jokes. I But if you can't take it, you better not try to give it. And just because you can take a little little poking and a little picking, as some folks say. Y'all know what picking is? You might pick on folks, and you don't think anything about it. You might can take it, and it, it just rolls off. You think it's hilarious, but somebody else may not be able to take it just like you can take it. You understand? So you have to consider one another. That's why the Bible said for you to be kind one to another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another. In other words, there's an ongoing process. Let me explain something to you. One of my, I, I shouldn't say one of, probably my favorite uncle. And this is very unkind to say because every one of my uncles was just I, now, when I talk to uncles, I'm talking on my mama's side. My, my daddy had one uncle, uh, one brother, and he never was in church. I never got to be around him. And he, he, he died in, in the religion of the motherland. All right, you all understand what that was. When you come from, from Spain, your religion's pretty much determined for you when you're born. And he wanted nothing to do with being Pentecostal or my father, either one. So my mother's brothers were wonderful. Most of them were preachers all except one. But the one that was my favorite was the guy who when, when you're just a kid in first grade and you're sitting at the Thanksgiving dinner table and your uncle shoots a straw cover across the table at somebody, he's your favorite uncle because he can get away with stuff you can't get away with. You know, That's what I'm talking about. You just, 
Now, my Uncle Stan was a man that had some money. And he had him, back in the 50s, he had him an 85-foot yacht. And when he was in his early 20s, early 30s, he, he, he had a business, a, a musical repair business. They sent him instruments from around the world. He did a tremendous repair business. And had, it was just, it was known all over the Northwest especially. And he was such a great guitar player that, Every Sunday morning, he had his own radio program just playing Chet Atkins style on, on the guitar, gospel music on Sunday morning. So here is an up-and-coming young man in the community, in the church, and he's sitting on about the second or third row, and they had a church of several hundred there in Portland, Oregon. I was born in Oregon. And they, they had him pray. Now, Some people, you can just say, we want Brother Smith to stand and pray, and it's no problem for him. But you, some other people, they just go into shock. Oh, Lord. And they can't get the first nine words together of how that prayer is going to start. So my dad beating my head, now, son, people won't even know that you're doing this. And because of this story, this is why my dad said this to me. He said, you can say, uh, in a few minutes, we're going to have Brother Smith dismiss us in prayer. But first of all, I'd like to remind you that there will be choir practice tonight at 7.30 or 5.30. we got this happen and that happen, and don't forget this and that. And you've given him a chance to get the first few words of his prayer lined up. And, and you're just helping him save face, and he don't even realize you're doing that. So this preacher pastor said, we want Brother Stan Gleason to dismiss us in prayer. Now, there is a propensity in my mother's people to get our tang all tangled up and, and words not to come out just right. It's called, the technical worm is, word is worm, yeah, is spoonerisms. You get the first letter of this word and the first letter of that word, and you get them transposed. It's still easier for me to say corn country than it is for me to say foreign country. I have to make myself say foreign country because corn country just wants to come right out. It's, I, that's... Mine's twisted. That's how I, I think. So I make lots of mistakes when I'm preaching. And for a long time, I just took myself too serious. And I couldn't laugh at myself, and I tried to be careful. But my uncle just blew it. He did something. He, he got some words twisted around there, and there's a preacher right behind him. But in the church, got to snickering, as I probably would have, because it was funny. But my uncle got offended. How dare somebody laugh at him? I'm trying to be serious here. And so he was so embarrassed, he didn't come back to church that night, nor that week, nor that month, nor that year, nor for the next 54 years, he didn't come back to church. Now listen, I hate that you get offended. And I hate that there's stuff that just doesn't sit well with you and you got hurt and you sob and cry in your handkerchief and fill up a few Kleenexes. But there's no offense worth going to hell over. There's nothing worth throwing it all away for. I'm happy to tell you in his 70s, late 70s, almost 80 years old, he came back down to an altar and prayed back through. He died this past year at 90 years old, still in church, testifying, praising God and worshiping. Don't throw your life away because you got offended at something. And don't be guilty of, of goading or picking at somebody and pushing them over the edge. The Bible said to be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Even as God forgave you, so you ought to also forgive them.
Colossians 3.13 says forbearing one another. That means tolerating one another. Look at somebody near you and say, I'm tolerating you. Some of you got a blessing out of that, didn't you? <laughs> and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, even as Christ forgave you, he forgave you frankly, he forgave you freely, he forgave you without any ifs, ands, or buts, or conditions. He didn't say to you, I forgive you, but I'll never forget. He just forgave you. That's how you're supposed to give according to Colossians 3.13. When I was just about 30 years old, I found myself in a room with about five or six other men. I was the junior person in the room. The oldest was as old as my father, maybe a tad older. And there was a man about 40 years old. And the problem was between the 40-year-old and the 75-year-old. And the 75-year-old said to the 40-year-old, You said this, and I hear that you said that about me. And the 40-year-old said, Oh, my Lord, no. I've never even thought that, let alone ever said it. Where did you hear that? He said, the 75-year-old said, my friend over here, been my friend for 30 years, says that he heard you say that. And he ain't never lied to me before. So why should he lie to me now? And the 40-year-old was crying. He said, oh, my God, no. No, he, he misunderstood. I, I, I've never said that. I, I've never even thought that. He said, I believe you did. And he, the 40-year-old fell on his knees and grabbed the feet. He said, oh, Lord. He said, please, no, 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 no. He said, yeah, you did it, and you know you did it. And I don't know how you could do it after how wonderful I've been to you. And he said, you don't believe me, do you? He said, no, I don't believe you. He said, well, then if you don't believe me, then I'm just going to have to repent as if I really did it. And he, he said, my God, I'm willing to kiss your shoes, man. I love you. You've been like a daddy to me. And he kissed his shoes. I I stood there, tears running down my cheek. I'm looking at these two men. And that 75-year-old was just as harsh and as hard and as unforgiving. It was just was cold. And finally, he blew, the, the guy on his knees, the 40-year-old, blew his nose and wiped his eyes. And he stood up and held out his hand. He said, man, I love you. He said, the devil's trying to break us up, man, but I love you. Please, please forgive me. He said, the 75 pulled his hand back and said, I wouldn't shake your hand for nothing. No, I won't forgive you. And here I am, the youngest man in the room. And something cold went through me because this older man had been my idol. And he had been somebody that I had looked up to over the years. And now here was someone who was unforgiving. And my spirit smote me and I wanted to go someplace and cry. I wanted to scream and say, what's wrong with you? But it wouldn't have done any good because everybody in the room felt like they knew more than I did. And so all I could do was sob on the inside like I was sobbing on the outside. I'm telling you, you don't have the right not to forgive. 
My father sat me down one time and he said, Son, there's three things that will destroy you as a preacher. False doctrine, women, and money. And not necessarily in that order. In talking to my four sons and my son-in-law involved in ministry, I've included a fourth one. False doctrine, women, money, and bitterness. I don't care who you are. No one is exempt from bitterness. And that will be the bait that the, the devil will put out to lure you into a trap that you can't get out of. And before you know it, it's going to clamp down. You don't you see, well, you're, you're too busy crying about how you feel and how you hurt. You can't see that the devil's camouflaging himself. And he has set a bait for you and he set a trap for you that he is trying to cut your legs out from underneath you where you will be disqualified for what God has called you to do. Don't let your future, don't let your ministry, don't let your worship, don't let your life be destroyed all because you wound up with bitterness over who said what and who did what to you. This is pretty heavy stuff for a morning, I understand. But somebody needs to hear what I'm saying today. Mercy brings forgiveness. Mercy brings deliverance. Mercy will even bring healing. Mercy brings salvation. I promise you, mercy brings unity. I heard a man from Ethiopia say they never prayed for revival in uh, Ethiopia. They only prayed for unity, and God gave them revival. I'll tell you, this church, you never will have unity till you start forgiving one another. And when you start forgiving one another and letting bygones be bygones, then you're going to see the Holy Ghost do a work like it has never done in your family, in your heart, and in this church. This town will feel the difference. You want revival to happen? You want a miracle to happen? Start forgiving your neighbors. Start forgiving your in-laws. Start forgiving your family. Watch what God does for your life. Oh, somebody get happy in Jesus. The Bible says concerning Job that when he prayed for his friends. Now, the Bible is extremely charitable. Because I've had friends, and I've had friends never do to me what Job's friends did to him. They, they hacked at him. And he was caught up in his own world for 40 chapters or so. And then in the last chapter, he starts praying for all his critics. And the Lord turned his captivity. You watch God do the same for you. You can spend 40 chapters of your life commiserating in your own pain and say, oh, God, this is a mess. Why did this happen? You can think, all, all you think about is me, 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 me. But when you start praying for all the people that have done wrong to you, watch God turn your captivity. God can bring peace to you. By the time you get done reading Matthew chapter 5 and verse 23 and 24, which reads like this, Therefore, if I bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath out against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. I'm not going to elaborate on this scripture, except to me it just seems like God is saying, 
get right with your brother first and then come and get right with me. Most of us try to get right with God and feel like it's all, all okay, but God just lets you get right with Him on credit. Get right with your brother. You know what? This, this is so wrong. But what I'm going to say is so wrong, and I know it. Don't take it as doctrine, all right? Because when we had, we always had foot washing communion is what we call it, but we always had communion first. And then we had foot washing in our church. For 30 years that I was a pastor, that's how I always had it, communion and then foot washing. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that's how I always did it. But according to this, God likes for us to get right with our brother first and then get right with him. I'm, I'm just, and don't sit here and say, well, Brother Ballester said you ought to have foot washing first. It doesn't make me any difference which one you have first. You can get right with your brother first without having to wash his feet. If you know you're going to be having foot washing communion, you ought to be able to talk to your brother beforehand. But dear Lord, why wait once a year before you get right with your brother? Why not today? It's a good day. One of the most brilliant men that I've ever met in my life, I pastored him. He was an inventor. He was an engineer. He worked for Bendix. And uh, his, his relationship with Jesus seemed to be how connected with how busy his hands were. There are some people who, if they're not busy doing stuff, they don't feel like they're saved. So I had to invent jobs for him to do so he'd feel good about himself. And when you have to invent jobs for an inventor, you got your work cut out for you. And I tell I, is there any way we could do this or do that? And he'd go home and he would work. And, I mean, he'd draw stuff out and get the airbrush and he'd paint and fix it. And Yeah, he could get it done. Amazing. But somehow, he got, he contracted stomach cancer, a, a form of stomach cancer of some kind. And he was in the hospital a long time. One time it was there, even at the, the last, I, I was there, I think I spent about 10 days in a motel in a town that, where he was at trying to be there with him and check on him and everything. But he had lost so much weight after going through chemo and radiation. He was down to probably 100 pounds or less. This man was old enough to be my daddy. And he called me one Saturday about, oh, I don't know, 4 or 5 o'clock. I had gotten home from preaching the funeral. I still had a suit on. He said, Brother Ballester, can you come, please, come over to my house quick. It was only about a mile, and I, I got there real quick. I walked in, and, and these people were, were very frugal. And the living room, the couch, had one couch here and one couch right there, and it was just a little small living room. Him and her, they, they were faithful supporters of the church, and just people you... These are people that were just there every service. You could count on them. You, you never had to worry or wonder if they were going to be there. Bro, this brother said to me, and I was sitting across from him, he said, Brother Ballestero, 
He said, my doctor told me today that medical science has done all for me that they could do. There's no more. And he said, the doctor says that I still haven't gone into remission. He said, my doctor told me, he said that he was not a religious person. But he said, the kind of cancer that you have, and he called him by name, is the kind that seems to be connected with people that hold grudges and hatred and don't let go of stuff. He said, if there's something that you need to fix with somebody, he said, I'm telling you to go fix whatever you need to fix. If you got a grudge, you got hatred, you go get rid of that. He said, because it's going to be your body's only hope to go into remission. And he said, Brother Ballestero, eight years ago, I got crossed up with you. And I started carrying bitterness and hatred and grudge in my heart against you. I still kept coming, but it wasn't the same between us. And he said, what I've done is I've killed myself. It just opened up the door for cancer to eat me up. He said, I don't know if you can find it in your heart to forgive me, but I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me? I fell on my knees before him. I took him in my arms. I kissed him on the cheek like I would kiss my own daddy. I said, sure, I forgive you. I love you. I'm so sorry. I don't even know what I've done, but I'm so sorry that whatever it was I've done that caused you this pain. I wouldn't have done it for the world. I prayed for him like I've never prayed before. I hate to tell you that within just a matter of weeks, was dead but he died with everything okay between him and God and he died with everything okay between him and the preacher don't throw your life away don't destroy your health and your soul all because you would rather keep something gnawing down in your gizzard it's not worth the price you're going to have to pay somebody lift your hands and worship the Lord right now talk to him for a minute would you Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come here, son. Come here. Do me a favor and reach in there and get me that stack of books. Get them books right there. Get the book on the counter on the, on the side right here. Hold them in front of you with two hands. Let's say that this is a five-pound sack of potatoes. And this man pulls out a potato at a felt-tip marker, and he writes on each potato the name of somebody who has done him wrong. Larry. Mary. Harry. Jerry. Harry, Fairy, and you write the name of everybody who has hurt you or who has injured you, and then you stack it back up, and you carry it around, and after a while, you notice that when you drive the car, this is between you and the steering wheel. When you sit down at the table, you have to reach around this to eat. When you lay on the bed at night, it's laying right there on your chest. It's the last thing you think about. 
And when you wake up in the morning, it's the first thing you remember because it's right there on your chest. It is your life. Have you ever been gone from the house for a couple weeks on a vacation or something, come home and find that there's a potato been left out somewhere? When you walk through the door, your nose will tell you there is a potato that's rotten. Anybody ever smelled a rotten potato? It has a smell all of its own. You will not go to sleep until you find it. And then you'll spray, you'll light candles, you'll spray whatever you can to get the smell out. That's what happens to these. They start to rot after a while. And then every time you open your mouth and talk, the stench from this is what comes out. And you find folks avoiding you and backing away from you. You know why? They like you as a person, but your breath stinks. Because all you want to talk about is your bitterness and who hurt you and all this woman said and what that man did and how you got slighted, how your parents offend you and that person that did this. And what, and you could spend your life carrying that kind of baggage around. Your Bible let it be known to cast all of your cares upon the altar. Leave them there. And then when you go back to your seat, don't take them with you. Turn them over to Jesus. There are some things you never will fix. Just say, God, I'm tired of carrying this load. I can't handle this anymore. This is your, I'm your child. This is your business. You're just going to have to sort it out. I've got a life I've got to live. I don't want to carry this mess all the days of my life. It's actually possible for the Holy Ghost to wash your soul. It's possible for the Holy Ghost to wash your spirit. For God's sake, don't die a bitter person. Oh, maybe, maybe I'll say it to you like this. I know what it's like to go to a meeting and have preachers get up, and me, a pastor, get up and call my name from a pulpit and personalize me and my children and my father. I've heard him preach against my mom and dad because they preached for a UPC church one time. And those were my, my guy my dad preached for. I shouldn't even have to explain that, but the guy my dad preached for was my dad's friend before there ever was right. another fellowship organization. You understand that? And I'm sitting there thinking, now you might can shoot at me and I probably deserve it, but leave my babies out of this and leave my mom and dad out. My mom and dad's Christians for crying out loud, what is wrong with you? And then I got to thinking, well, if they say this, my kids went to Bible school. Well, I went one year. Well, actually, I almost made it a year, all but two weeks. They was happy for me to go and I was happy to be gone. I don't suppose anybody there thought I'd ever live for God. But you can't always tell a book by its cover, can you? And some of the people you think going to make some of the best saints in the world, you look for them and they're gone. Folks that you try to run off, they dig some heels in and they humble themselves and God does a, a miracle in their lives. I just say thank God that we're here. But this person that was doing all the personalizing, they went to a seminary. wasn't even oneness. And they had some guy smoking a pipe with a big goatee to them about religion. I thought to myself, well, what? What would you rather have? Somebody with a revelation who Jesus is teach you or somebody who's a Trinitarian teach you about God. So I, I was rationalizing. I didn't call it bitterness. I was defending myself. You, you understand what I'm saying? And, well, they say this, I'll say that. They do this, I'll do that. I'm right. They're wrong. I'm not arguing with them. I'm right. They're arguing with me. 
And then I, I went to a meeting, and I heard an old preacher that his name was Brother Pugh, J.T. Pugh, and I'd, I'd never heard him before. And he was teaching a camp meeting, and, and I just sat there for a couple of days being around some of my wife's family. And the last day he told a story, the last illustration, it forevermore, and I, I, may, I may even tell that, but it so got to me that it dawned on me. I mean, I would wake up in the morning. I think about, <laughs> boy, Lord, thank you. They say this now, I'm going to say that to them. And there was a war going on in my spirit, and I didn't feel like I was bitter. I would have denied being bitter. I was defending myself, and I was rationalizing. But this man told me a story, and for the first time, I caught a glimpse of what my spirit was like. And I sobbed like a baby for two hours until my eyes were almost swollen completely shut. I had him pray for me. I was ashamed at what I saw when I looked into his spiritual mirror. And I promised the Holy Ghost that day that I would never fight my brother again. If they want to fight me, let them fight me. I've got to work for God to do. I'm just going to go on and keep on doing. I hate that you feel that way about me. I'm going to love you and I'm going to pray for you, but I'm not going to stop and fuss with you. There's a world that needs God, and I'm not going to spend my time trying to fuss with somebody while sinners going to hell. The devil's trying to distract me, and he's trying to distract you. I'm a long ways from perfect, and if you don't believe me, ask that beautiful woman on the second row, the one in the black. She'll tell you that I'm not perfect. Well, she might lie and say I'm pretty nice, but in her heart she knows. But you and I both know that God didn't put us in the church accidentally. He called us for a purpose. He called us for a reason. And he called us to do more than just sit here and warm up a pew. He called us to win the lost. He called us to have revival. He called, oh, yes, he did. There's a purpose for your being here. And I want to find myself busy, occupying, doing all I can find to do till he comes. Anybody feel like I feel here today? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Psalms 35. I want everybody in this house to remember Psalms 35. I'm, going, I'm not going to start at verse 1. He talks about all these people and how mean they were and how bad they were and all the ugly things they said and all the ugly things they did. And it's horrible. It's just horrible. And then by the time you get to verses 11 through 14, he picks up and he says like this. I've concerning these people who were mean to him, I behaved myself as though he had been my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one that mourneth for his mother. What that means is bow down heavily means I put my head on the ground. As one that mourneth for his mother. In other words, I cried for him like I would cry at my mother's funeral. Now, I've never lost a mother. God's been good to give my mother health. She's 83, and for her age, she's doing wonderful, I think. I've lost a daddy. I know what it's like a little bit to cry. But David said, I looked at my enemies, and I bowed my head down like I was mourning for my mama. I preached this part to my church one time, and for 45 minutes I stayed on my knees and I preached on crying for your mama. 
And when you put your head down on the floor and you sob and you pray for that one who has hurt you and defended you and, and offended you, you're not thinking about yourself, but you're thinking of what a loss that friendship was. And, oh, God, heal this, fix this. If you can catch a picture of that, that's how God wants you. If, if this is how God wants me to feel towards my enemy, then how am I supposed to pray for my brother? And how am I supposed to pray for backsliders and the lost and those that I love if that's the burden I'm supposed to feel? Maybe I got some of my, my prayers messed up, but I don't believe God likes all my prayers to be dry-eyed. I don't believe that God wants all my prayers just to be words that I've memorized. I think He wants it to have something that's got some emotion down in the gizzard that stirs you up and won't let you go. Oh, somebody needs to cry for the mama around here. I'm sorry for what they've done to you. And I hope to God you haven't been through hell on earth. But if you have, turn it over to Jesus today. And put it under the blood and let's go on. Let's don't stop here. Let's don't hit a bump in the road and say this is all that there is for us. There's better days ahead. There's future for you. There's joy ahead. There's victory ahead. Don't stop. Here, don't die on this hill. Don't jump off of that bridge. It's not worth being lost over. Oh, God. I'm just going to skip some stuff. Time is getting away from me. But I want to read Matthew chapter 18. I got a lot of scripture in Matthew 18 to read. Matthew 18, and I want to read verse 23. Begin reading. It reads like this. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. I have an old an old, old 1960 version Thompson Chain Bible, and the table in that one says that 10,000 talents is the equivalent of $262,800,000 back in 1960. One, over one quarter of a billion dollars. It was a debt that this man could not pay. And for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold. I'll just tell you this much. This is, to me, in my mind, is a type of a debt that you owe to God. It's a debt that you cannot pay. It's too big a price. You cannot pay it. For as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, and his wife and children, all that he had in payment to be made. And the servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I'll pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. He said, no, you don't owe me anything. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which ought him or owed him a hundred pence, according to that table, $15. I'm not talking about over a quarter of a billion. I'm talking $15. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me that thou owest. And his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I'll pay thee all. And he would not, but went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. 
So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry and came and told unto the Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that thou all that debt because thou desiredest me shouldest not thou also have had compassion on the fellow servant even as I had pity on thee and his Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due unto him so likewise shall my heavenly father do also unto you if ye from your hearts in other words you got to put your heart in it not just your mouth from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses I'll just explain it to you this way. God is telling us in this story, if you don't forgive your brother, God can take back the forgiveness that he gave you. Now, look at this. Here's a debt that you cannot pay and I cannot pay, and yet God is saying in this illustration, the problem that you have with your brother in his eyes is a $15 problem. You say, oh, well, you won't believe what's happened. And we can take this molehill and make such a mountain over it, we won't talk to members of our family. And we won't talk to brothers and sisters in the church. We'll have nothing to do with other people. And we'll, we can cut folks off. And we just, this side of the church don't have anything to do with that side of the church. And you can carry mess in your heart. And you can say, oh, no, I, I could never do that. No, you, you don't know our history. I'm sure I don't. I don't even know your names. I'm just preaching to be preaching here this morning. But I, I know enough to know that the Holy Ghost is talking to somebody in this house. And I'll tell you this much, ladies and gentlemen. However big you have made it in your mind and made other people believe it's big. In this scripture, it's a $15 problem. It's worth 15 bucks. Don't go to hell for 15 bucks. Don't dry up in your soul for 15 bucks. That's not even a good business deal. I'll give you the 15 bucks if that's what it takes to get you back on the road again. Whatever it takes to get right with God, let's do it today. Whatever it takes to get our spirit right, let's get it right today. You want God's mercy? Then you be merciful. I told you just a little bit about the story that Brother Pugh told the last day. I'm done. I want our musicians to get ready to come. I'm standing there at a camp meeting with a thousand people or so, afternoon Bible class in Michigan. Why don't everybody just go ahead and stand with me? Thank you for your patience. And Brother Pugh, I mean, I, I'm not saying this man was my favorite preacher. He seemed like a wonderful man, but I don't really know him. I just heard him this one time. He said that in the little church in Louisiana where he got the Holy Ghost was right near the Sabine River, West Louisiana. There was two major families in the church there in the little farming community and that they always rode the wagon together to go to church. And except in the springtime when they planted to save the horses, they wouldn't ride in the wagon together. They would walk. And in the fall of the year, they wouldn't, in the harvest time, they wouldn't ride a wagon, make the horses work again. They let them rest. 
he said that this little community that one night they were walking home from church just two families in the dark they stopped by the first farmhouse to get a drink of water one young lady and one of the families accused one of the young men another family of an impropriety he claimed absolutely not no that's not what happened I don't know if somebody, I, I, I don't know what the accusation was. I'm not even going to try to put any thoughts in anybody's mind other than he said, no, no, I, no, 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 nothing, nothing happened. I, I don't know if he just talked about brushing up against somebody or what. I don't, all I know is, is that the boy got arrested, had a trial, and went to jail. He said, I'm not guilty of anything. I, I didn't do one thing. I, ne I never touched the girl. He said, I, but I'm not going to let this destroy me. I'm not going to let it kill me. It so happened that one family said on this side of the church and the other family said on that side of the church, and the church became polarized. And everybody that stood by this family said over here, and everybody that stood by this family said over there. Brother Pugh said that in his church, he said, worship died and prayer died. Nobody got the Holy Ghost for two years. It was just a maintenance ministry, just coming to church, just going through the forms, going through the ritual, nothing special happening. This side wouldn't talk to that side. They wouldn't pray together. They wouldn't worship. They wouldn't do nothing. One special singer over here, that side wouldn't respond. Out of jail, he came and sat on the front row. Nobody in town would hire him now. He kept trying to worship and pray. After about two weeks, he woke up one morning. He was completely paralyzed. All he could do was open his mouth. He could talk. But he couldn't move one limb. Doctors didn't know what the problem was. The mother had to feed him like a newborn baby. Finally, weeks went into a couple months, and they finally just built a little shanty out behind the house for him to sleep in. The mother would carry trays of food out to him. Critics said, well, he's just trying to get sympathy. If a storm comes through here and blows that shanty down, you'll see whether or not he can walk or not. And sure enough, a storm came and blew it down. It wrapped him around a barbed wire fence. He almost bled to death. He couldn't move. They had to rebuild the shanty, and they put him back in it. So it happened that Months rolled on, and finally one night in service, one of the mothers crossed the aisle and went over to the other mother and said, could you find it in your heart to forgive me and to forgive my family? And the other mother said, I've been waiting a long time to hear you say that. Sure, I forgive you. They fell on each other's necks, and they cried, and they hugged. And 
the fathers saw that, and so the fathers walked across the aisle, and they shook hands, and they hugged necks. And the married children, they crossed the aisles, and where it was appropriate, the brothers were the brothers, and the sisters were the sisters. They hugged necks and apologized. The saints saw that in the church, and so they felt more at liberty to go across the aisle, and they started worshiping and crying and repenting. Folks started shouting. Two people got the Holy Ghost that night, if I remember correctly. Oh, it went on to midnight. They just had a blowout. It was a breakthrough that, like they'd never had in a long time. The folks went home rejoicing over the wonderful presence of the Lord. Brother Pugh said the next morning, the mother of the boy was standing at the stove, and she was fixing his breakfast, making a tray. And she heard the screen door slam behind her, and she turned and looked, and there's her son, dressed, shaved, hair combed, walking into the house, completely healed of his paralysis. Brother Pugh said, that's what bitterness will do to you. It'll paralyze you as a person. It'll paralyze your church, your worship. It, it will stop revival dead in its tracks. And I promised the Holy Ghost that day I didn't want to fall into that trap again. If you can ever get out. You know, uh, there are some animals that will chew their leg off to get out. We heard about a climber who got trapped by an 800-pound rock, and he had to break his arm and cut his arm off because I'm not going to die in this trap. I don't know what it takes for you to get out of whatever trap the devil's trying to get you in. But why don't we come up and just here this morning and say, God, all of us as a church family say, God, I want to keep my spirit right. I want my heart right. If you need to do some, need to do some talking to Jesus, lift up your hands to Him. Too. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, lift up your voices to Him. Oh, yes, Jesus, 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 Jesus. To the top. Oh, my God. The joy when you gave your full control. Oh, yes, Jesus. But if time has removed all the peace you knew, He is calling you back.
while you're still in an atmosphere of prayer, I don't guess I actually gave it a title today, but I wanted to call it the mercy connection because there's a connection to your mercy. While we still are praying, I would like the husbands and the wives to find one another this morning. I'm taking liberties here, I understand. But could we do that for just a minute? If, you're, if you have a spouse that's in this house, go find them right now. Maybe you need to say something to them. I want you to face them, not just hold their hand sideways, but look at them. If you, it's okay for the organ, the piano to stop. That's okay. If we just lift up our voices right now, hallelujah. Maybe you need to say something. I want you to take them in your arms, tell them you love them, ask them to forgive you, whatever we need. The Holy Ghost can do a work in our hearts here today. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, my God. Come on, lift up your voices to the Lord here today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord. It all starts at the house, ladies and gentlemen. It starts in our homes. Oh, God. Thank you for our family units, for our mothers and fathers. Oh, my God. Hallelujah. Yes, yes, Jesus. If your parents are here today, I want you children to go find your parents. Go be with them in a family union. Maybe you need to tell your mom and dad you're sorry. Or maybe you need to say something to your children. If you're single here today, if you're a single adult and you have no family, then I want you to find another single adult and go to them. Hallelujah, brothers with brothers and sisters with sisters. Oh, everybody ought to be with somebody right about now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, lift up your voice to the Lord right now. Plead the blood of Jesus over our homes and over our families to wash us and make us clean and keep our hearts tender before you, God. Oh, God, thank you for what you've given us as homes and family units. Hallelujah to God. Oh, God, we're grateful to you today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Itolomo shama. Oh, lift up your voice, church. Thank God. Let there be some washing of our spirits and our hearts, a new tenderness created in our homes. Tell one another before you break up that you love one another. Before, before you leave here this morning, make sure you've told every member of your family that you love them. Hallelujah, 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 Jesus. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord Jesus. Blessed be your name, Jesus. Hallelujah, God. Hallelujah, God. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord. Hallelujah. Now where it's appropriate, I want brothers to go to other brothers and sisters. Go to sisters. I want all you brothers to hug every brother's neck before you leave here today. Sisters, hug every sister's neck before you leave here today. Tell them that you love them. If you need to say something else to them.